Welcome to another edition of Maverick University. I'm your host, David Hallberg. Joining me today again is Brother Jake Robineau, assistant pastor at Northwest Bible Baptist Church, instructor at Providence Baptist College, teaches our manuscript evidence class, and we've been talking for several episodes about the King James Bible, about the inspiration, the preservation of the scriptures and manuscript evidence. And I recommend that our listeners go back and uh, listen to those episodes if they haven't, and so that you can get up to speed where we're talking today. So just to bring us up to speed, the Bible has been inspired. It declares it in itself. Uh, it's evidenced, and we can see its preservation as well. God has promised to preserve his word by faith. We believe that. And if God has inspired his word, if it has been preserved for us and perfectly preserved, then where is it? And we're making the argument, making the case that the King James Bible is the inspired, preserved word of God. And last episode, you talked um, about the manuscript evidence aspect of argument for the King James Bible. And then now we're going to launch into some other ones as well. So um, can you give us a maybe a recap or preview of what sure. we're going to talk about? I just I do think it's important for for us to be able to identify something that we could hold in our hands mm-hmm. that that is the evidence of, you know, what God has inspired and perfectly preserved. Mm-hmm. And it bothers me a little bit when sometimes you look at whether it's a church doctrinal statement or, mm. or anything else, and it'll talk about, you know, oh, yes, we believe in the inspiration of the original autographs, you know. And then there's nothing that, and, and maybe they say we use the King James Version, or maybe, yeah. you know, but there's no clear, solid identification that they believe the King James Bible to be that. And, um, man, I just, I think it's pretty disingenuous uh, for anybody, especially a, a preacher, to get up behind a pulpit and preach, thus saith the Lord, if he doesn't believe that the book that he's, physically yeah. holding in his hands is truly the authority. That's a good point. And uh, there's a difference between getting up and talking about some lesson that comes from a good book versus the power that comes from the perfectly, you know, preserved and inspired word of God. So anyways, that's why I think it's important that we do identify, you know, what is that written word that's still here today that God is perfectly inspired and perfectly preserved. So um, why do we believe it's the King James Bible? Uh, I believe the last episode we centered and really focused on uh, just a a broad overview of manuscript evidence. Mm -hmm. Um, Where did it come from? And where was it translated from? You know, uh, the King James Bible comes from the Greek received text, right? The Mm -hmm. Masoretic Hebrew text. Um, It came from, you know, those Greek... Uh, manuscripts came from Antioch, not Alexandria. And so that was sort of the, the focus on that. Even a, just a, a quick highlight on the uh, doctrinal heresies that were espoused by Westcott and Hort, who mm-hmm. were responsible for the compiled New Testament that's used in almost every modern version out there today. So, yes, we covered that manuscript evidence aspect of it pretty thoroughly, I thought. Um, And then, obviously, we can even delve deep into other aspects of comparing between what was the translation process, what what are the results of the translation, and what where do we want to go from here? Yeah, I just think the second second part of why we believe the King James Bible is that Word of God for us today, uh, and why do we why do we that's that's God's Word is Mm -hmm. is because of how it was translated. Okay, Um, and we you know the type of translation even. Uh, much of the modern versions out there are a more of what we would call a dynamic equivalence, which is basically like a thought for thought translation. Whereas okay. the King James Bible has a, uh, they used what we would call formal equivalence, which is a word for word 
uh, translation. And so you can okay. understand um, when you're doing thought for thought, there's a lot of room for, you know, editorial, you know, yeah, addition you there. And uh, versus when you're going very specifically word for word, right, mm-hmm. that you must there, there's an accuracy that that is demanded. Well, and yeah, so I, that uh, that's the, uh, the 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 first step is understanding what type of translation is the King James Bible versus what's directly just call it like the NIV. That sure. is a very loose thought for thought, type, you know, idea for idea type of translation, whereas the scripture tells us that God's words right mm-hmm. are important. Well, I mean. Even as I'm not, I'm not multilingual. Um, I'm an American, as most Americans are. Um, but I even understand, even in the English language, that two words can have the same general definition, but have entirely different connotations. And so, word choice is so important. Like the word average, and the word mediocre, they both mean average. Blah. But if I say something is mediocre. It has a totally different connotation just than just the word average. And I think that's where you're talking about. Word for word is so important, not just thought for thought. Because you can insert agenda. You can insert subliminal oh, meaning absolutely. with a word change. A lot more editorial liberty yeah. you know, with a thought for thought or an idea for idea translation versed. And, and a lot less demand for complete accuracy Okay, when, when there's that looseness. And so the King James Bible, it was very important that it be a word-for-word translation, and it okay. was. Um, it was from the original languages into basic English. And so the type of translation, I think, is impressive. Uh, not only the type of translation, but even the character of the translators. Sure, yeah, and tell understanding us about that. The, the men, uh, the 54 men, okay. un, my opinion, unparalleled integrity um, as far as the type of men that they were. Um you know, they had unparalleled linguistic skills mm-hmm. in the biblical languages as well as other other languages. Um, I think one of the individuals that's normally highlighted would be like a Lancelot Andrews. And uh, he, he knew 15 European languages plus Greek, Latin, Hebrew, Chaldean, Syriac and Arabic. Wow. And that's just one of the individuals <laughs> on there. Not, not not everybody had those same credentials, but yeah. they were definitely multi, you know, linguistic and um, so it wasn't his first rodeo in translating no and so these men had a great understanding of not just common languages but even biblical languages and um, and this was evidenced in how they you know how they uh, translated the King James Bible another part of that and and just to sort of skip along here a little bit is the the translators were very honest um, about their translation and I think it's maybe best evidenced in their use of the italics and um, some yeah. people wonder, people notice that yeah yeah well what are the italics the italics are words that had to be added for readability when you translate from one language to another sure and um, I understand a little bit about that someone that that knows multiple languages would would understand that even a little bit better mm-hmm. um, but when they were doing that word for word translation there were certain you know ands does different little words that had to be added and, and sometimes it was even different than that, but, but little words like that, that had to be added for readability. And they wanted people to know we did this. And so they italicized them for honesty's sake. And uh, when you have a word for translation, you have honest translators, that's what they're going to do versus just, Hey, let's translate this. And, and people will not know the difference. Yeah. Just right? trust us. It's trust okay. us. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And so okay. when you look at the translation, I think it's important to look at who was translating. And um, then you look at the process of translation. 
and a very impressive uh, process. You had these 54 men, right? We already Mm -hmm. talked about that. Uh, Basically, they were split up into six different companies, uh, three different locations, two companies at each city. And they spent quite a bit of time making their own translations first. Okay. Right. And then they met together in those companies, right? Those six different companies. And when each company finished maybe coming to an agreement on the translation of a book, it would be sent to the other five companies for review and also agreement. Wow. And so you can imagine just the arduous process that this took. And then when the complete Bible was was translated, um, they actually took two men from each of these six companies, made a 12-man committee. This Bible, the, the complete Bible was brought together. They met daily for nine months just settling any questions regarding the littlest of issues uh, in the translation process. Yeah, so all the large issues had already been settled, but they're just getting nitty-gritty. So you, so you think about wow. that. When you when you look at it, every single passage of Scripture was scrutinized and gone over a minimum of 14 times uh, hmm. as far as just the, the passing back and forth, the evaluation as, as well. And so I, don't, I have not ever seen any proof that any translation has gone through a process like this with the individuals yeah. that it went through it with. It's almost and, frustratingly um, painstaking. Wow. Very much so. Wow, that's incredible. And um, so obviously, you know, you still have that foundation of faith. But when you look at this process, when you look at what these men went through, the type of men that they were, and you compare that to any other thing that's out there, it's it's pretty pretty impressive for sure. Well, and even if you, you were talking about the, the integrity and the moral, you know, nature of these men, even if there was a guy who had an agenda, it's not his agenda is not going to pass through all of these cross checks these you know balance of powers if you will that's incredible so even if you can assume that there was agenda it wasn't going to make it yeah and and definitely definitely didn't have any sodomites or homosexuals on translation committees or reviews okay so or that obviously like that. leads us someplace so, we're going to well, compare the translators yeah to, huh? and, and i don't know that i want to go down that rabbit hole but it's it's definitely documented that the NIV and some of these modern versions had that mm-hmm. type of influence and slant on their, and, and, and it's obvious from the way that certain sins are portrayed. Mm-hmm. And so anyways, then you've got the motive for translation. And I think this is important to understand. Uh, okay. I think we, we maybe mentioned this briefly uh, in the last episode, uh, but the whole reason that the King James Bible came into existence was because there were some people that sincerely wanted to have an English Bible that was free from any type of notes, um, any, free from any type of um, of outside influence saying, this is what this means. And mm-hmm. that's what the translations at that point had. Um, they had denominational influence. Uh, whoever had produced that English translation added marginal notes that when people were reading the Bible, it was right there that said, you know, this means this. Yeah. And uh, okay. and it was very much slanted to whatever denominational beliefs had been influential in that translation. So you got your Papists, you've got your Anglicans, you've got the your Puritans. All, all yeah. of it. And, um, and so they wanted a, a Bible that was free from any of those type of influences. And it was literally just, these are the words of God. And uh, so that was their motive versus, I mean, there's all sorts of motives that are thrown out there today. You know, easier to read, blah, blah, blah. But really, I think it comes down to money. Yeah. And so most of these modern versions, if not all of these modern versions, the motive is, is, is the dollar. And so when you compare that and look at that versus, you know, hey, let's have a, a Bible that's free from, you know, outside influence or, or, or notes, it, it's quite different there. Yeah. So um, anyways, so why do we believe in the King James Bible? 
well because of its translation mm-hmm. the, what type of translation the process that the men you know the motive all of that i believe is very important uh then i guess maybe we move on into the language of the king james bible and, well yeah uh, a lot of people will make statements about it i was in fact talking to a neighbor the other day we we're on a walk in our neighborhood and we just started a conversation with this lady in her 80s doing yard work but she was still up doing it and you're ta- getting into religion and talking about you know the bible and she's like oh yeah i i was in the doctor's waiting room and there's a bible in there it didn't have all those these and thous in it and i was thinking to myself well that's so complicated these and thous but i I was a nice neighborhood and didn't insult her intelligence. But people make that dumb argument all the time. Like, man, those these and thous are so hard to understand. Is that where you're going with this language issue? Not necessarily to that degree. Uh, Actually, the these and thous are actually more specific than even like. Okay, yes. Do address this. That's that's really good. I like that. Yeah. So uh, typically, you know, the would be singular. Ye would be plural. And so it's 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 very very specific in its um, in its in its address, if you would. Uh, of course, one of the main arguments for the King James Bible is against the King James Bible is well, it's too hard to read, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if you and there are some men that have done some great comparisons and some great, even entire books addressing this issue. Sure. Um, but ninety five percent of the English of the King James Bible is one to two syllable words, mm-hmm. and so it was written at, to be understood at a fifth grade level. Uh, basic English, not complex. Um, and, and then you add that in and you start looking at some of these modern translations and the words. Um, and I don't have a list of them with me today, but you've got these words that are way more complex than the word that they replaced from the King James Bible. Yes. And so that argument goes out the window with close scrutiny, close examination. And, um, so anyways, that's 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 uh, that's another part of it. on an anecdotal note. Um, I remember and we both grew up in Christian homes and I remember growing up as a kid after I was saved, I suddenly had an, a craving for the word of God and I began reading my Bible faithfully and um, reading the Psalms, you know, reading shorter portions of scripture, reading just a chapter a little bit at a time. But I remember not having difficulty as a young child reading the King James Bible um, and my children now. You know, they're reading the King James Bible, and my my seven-year-old, she doesn't have an issue with it. My sixth grader, she doesn't have an issue with it. And I think it's just a incredibly, it's either a disingenuous argument to say the Bible's hard to read, or you have some severe Somebody's, educational yeah, deficiency. Somebody started saying that, and everybody else just started echoing it without really close examination. And I wonder if some of these that, that use that argument actually have really ever read the entire King James Bible. That's a good are point. we going to kid anybody and say there's passages that are that are a little bit more difficult? Of Absolutely. Yeah. And guess what? That that's called step up your level of intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. To 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 meet whatever that is. But like I said, ninety five percent, one to two syllable words. Uh, it's good for anybody. Absolutely. Anybody can understand it. Anybody can read it for sure. Thanks for joining us today. And we'll continue this conversation in the future. Make sure you check out our other episodes on YouTube. Make sure that you uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel and also make a comment on this video if you enjoyed it and share it with somebody that you know will benefit from it as well. Also, check out the audio only platforms uh, as well. Thank you so much for joining us.